This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Welcome, everyone, to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037th Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in through the litany of ways you can. Obviously, just search for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any podcast gimmicks. Just search Cajun Strong Style, and it is episode number 72. Appreciate you for bearing with us a little bit. We're probably going to wind up moving forward at least for football season and maybe into 2022, we go towards a Tuesday release date for the pod. Cause it's kind of seemingly where things kind of land. Mondays are a little bit more manic in my life now. So I think Monday, so I think Tuesdays are best case scenario. Cause you never know what could happen on a Monday night raw, especially nowadays with the WWE kind of going full bore with hot shotting different things, but we'll probably talk about that in a future podcast. Today, I want to kind of more touch on some of the big things that I kind of touched on last week and introduce a new segment in this week's podcast. We'll start talking about NXT 2.0. And I absolutely enjoyed what I saw, and the reboot in my mind was done right. And it made me interested to see how this whole thing develops going forward because it's not like this promotion in one week was able to get away from the NXT of old. And they kind of sort of did in certain aspects, but they managed to do something a little bit different. And I liked what I saw. I think first of all, and I'll get to the good first and I'll get you to those negatives. And the first positive, I think in my mind, it's a little strange to think, but bear with me is the setup for the show, the feel for it. It was very much a old school WCW Saturday night or the old Spike TV impacts. I, I'm not going to say it was, you know, the Fox Sports impact because they don't have the Fox box. It's not the same. This was very similar to what I used to see back in the day when I watched like WCW Saturday Night or the Spike TV impacts, where you would have like a few short, sweet contests to make sure some of the younger guys who don't have a whole lot of experience, case in point, a Braun Breaker. And the tag team, which felt like a Kata Murdoch ripoff in the name, just I don't remember at all. But this was a show that what they did made sense and it worked for me because I like that kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's not having to think too much. It's not, oh, wait, match, 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 match. And they're all like 10, 15 minute long matches and you can't really catch your breath. You're able to, oh, wait, you know, you ease into the show, then you get more towards the meat and potatoes. And that's what they did. And I liked it. Now, hopefully, we get to see some more of that. It becomes a true developmental system and it retains some of that old guard. We get to start seeing the dynamics of old versus new NXT play out over the next several months. At least that's the way I think about it. Another thing I liked was how the main event played out. Because you wind up having a lot of intrigue. As to who would lead this reboot, because it was a vacated title after Samoa Joe vacated it last weekend. And I sat there wondering what was going on with this. And all of a sudden, you have Kyle O'Reilly get attacked backstage, and Von Wagner replaces him very last minute. And that was something I kind of just scratched my head at. But it turns out 
it was almost a red herring there, and it made sense of who wound up winning the entire thing, and that was Tommaso Ciampa. Makes the most sense. He's been that locker room leader, and they've established that plenty in storylines on NXT. And we see more of that at the end of the show. We'll talk about that more a little bit later when we talk about Braun Breaker, because I've got some very pointed thoughts, and it's not positive. Another positive, I think, was the wedding angle to end the show. It was perfect, had great comedy, no huge twists, really. The wedding wasn't ruined to a certain extent. I mean, the priest did get attacked and is probably dead in storyline. I mean, from what I was able to hear, he sold the entire, like, after the segment was done and they got the promo post show, he was still down. So, yeah, I think it's safe to say he might be dead. But that's a different story. And Dexter Loomis was the perfect blend of, like, serious serial killer and... Like, absolute hysterical, silent comedian. Like, he, he's, his facial expressions just stayed the same the entire time. When he showed his axe to shut up everybody from trying to speak against this wedding, which I popped for like crazy. And he actually spoke. So that was really cool. Beth Phoenix got ordained, and we know how much she was loving the love that was going on with Indy and Dexter Loomis. That was a ton of fun. I absolutely just enjoyed it this angle and it was perfect i'll throw out one more positive and it's more of a small a slight positive and i gotta shout out whoever created the tony d'angelo gimmick literally the most stereotypical italian gimmick of all time and i loved it it's very much like early 2000s like wwe with some of those stereotypical gimmicks like the fbi even though that was more of an ECW thing, but at least you had Nunzio, who you knew was pretty much clearly in Italian, while you have this guy just not necessarily like fit that vibe, but his music and everything felt like Italian mob boss, where's the gabagool, that kind of thing. This dude immediately lands in my boy stable, and if you haven't seen OSW Review yet, make sure you go check that out. Shout out to OSW Review, by the way. I might unveil my boy stable next week, but Tony D'Angelo, you get in there. That said, not all the show was like a hit. It wasn't necessarily a perfect show. There's a lot of things that I probably could complain about, but I've got like two really big things. It's the names. Some of them don't necessarily, you, you don't remember at all after the show ends, but the one that stands out the most is Braun Breaker, which sounds like a CAW from 2K16's career mode, and it feels like it fits alongside guys like Baron Blade. Like, you have Rick Steiner's son, and you initially were going to call him Rex Steiner, but you have this big problem. You get that pissed off and triggered over the name Scott Steiner, and you call, you said, oh, wait, we're not going to call him Rex Steiner. We're going to call him Braun Breaker. I'll never understand Vince and what he wants. And they even referenced Rick Steiner in commentary saying that Braun Breaker had a dog-faced grim- gremlin mentality. Like, what are we doing where that's what you're putting up for an actual gimmick in 2021, and you're going to go ahead and do that? It was kind of dumb. And then, speaking of Braun Breaker, he didn't get the spot. You had Von Wagner take O'Reilly's spot just because he saved him from being beaten up even more backstage. You had Braun Breaker come out and beat one of the contenders for the vacant NXT championship in the opener. With relative ease. It made no sense to me. You should have automatically given him LA Knight spot at least. Then it would have been a lot more fun. 
And there probably would have been 10 times more intrigue. Is Braun Baker going to win in his second ever match? Is Von Wagner going to win in his first ever match? How are Champa and Pete Dunne going to wind up counteracting? How are they going to try and keep this new guard away? Like That would have been a lot more fun, but is what it is. But still, very confused by it. But it made a little bit more sense with how the show ended and the moment whenever they were trying a little bit too hard to be seen and meeting Undertaker in 2002. That's, that's at least what it felt like to me. But overall, this was a great show, and it did a job extremely well in terms of establishing what exactly this third brand will be in the future. Now it's just figuring out who exactly you're gearing this product towards. Because if it's more going towards the same of what the old NXT was, it's an uphill climb because, spoilers, there's a company that does that a lot better over on Wednesday nights. I think NXT has a, has a major problem. They're screwed either way. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Because they're going to have to differentiate themselves so much from everything else that not only the WWE does, but also what NXT UK does. And also what Raw and SmackDown do and AEW. You want to try and differentiate differentiate yourself that way you can gain the most potential viewership because nobody's really caring about Monday Night Raw no matter how much they hot shot certain things when they do it up against Monday Night Football and know that hey you know AEW is winning the key demos and you're trying to figure out how you're going to build that up I don't think it's going to be hot shotting because eventually you run out of like silver bullets to shoot that's at least what I think but you don't want this to be a watered down AEW there's a fine balance, and I think what they did week one was a good start. I'm not saying do it the same way every single week, but at least establish a separation where, let's say, the first hour is all your new guys, your new NXT guys, and they work these six, seven-minute matches. It's minimal exposure where you don't, where you know, oh, wait, these guys are still young, still relatively green. Let's give them the slot. And then we can figure out fully what we want to do with you down the road. And then you'll move up to the second hour where more of the established veterans will be. There will be some crossover. But I think if you have that first hour differentiate itself enough to be six, seven-minute matches. And then you have a main event that's 15, 20 minutes. It's going to make the show move a whole hell of a lot smoother. And it's going to feel like a lot more of a different ride as opposed to, hey, how we've seen WWE do things over the years where it's constantly 20-minute promo to open the show, then it's this, then it's a match that lasts five minutes, then it's a women's match that lasts two minutes. There's a way to do it, and more importantly, there's a way to piece all this together. And I'm hoping they can find that missing piece of the puzzle because the NXT is such a huge part of WWE's plans, they can't screw up with all due respect. It just feels like this is going this is a do or die situation for the no longer black and yellow brand, but looks like something that you'd paint after going to Holy Fest or Festival International, one of the two. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And my goodness, the Dark Side of the Ring Part 2 premiere. 
It's so weird to say that because technically this is still season three. I think they already got season four on tap. But they opened up with a plane ride from hell. And this was a wild episode that had like almost a veritable all-star team because you had Jim Ross. You had Rob Van Dam. You had a lot of guys around just incredible. You even brought up the flight attendant. Like everybody that was somebody that you could actually get onto the show was there. Ric Flair wasn't there, obviously, and we'll get to him more later. But the entire thing was really cool, just giving you an idea of the background of how these trips would typically go over across Europe. And you get a lot of guys who have done probably the Europe loop a million times. And I popped, this is one of the few times I popped on the podcast, on the show, is RVD, when he did his nameplate, it was, hey, this is Rob Van Dam. And you saw Rob Van Dam on the lower third. And I popped for that. Like the second, it, like how it showed up, because it was Rob, and then it was Van, and then it was Dam. It wasn't like just, it would pop up. No, they actually took the extra effort to make that even like a million times better. So I popped for that so hard. And then they talk about the fact that the plane, and this is something I didn't necessarily realize at first. Mind you, I, haven't, I didn't do a whole lot of research, but I know kind of the bare bones about it and how it all went down. But you had a seven-hour like weather delay that caused them to stay on the plane. This is probably a big reason why all this happened. And I've only been on a couple flights in my lifetime. Nothing like the WWE where they have, you know, it's actually private flights, private charters, where you're not having to be around the people to a certain extent. But I've taken a couple flights in my life, probably going to take more down the road, but that's a different conversation. I've never had to stay on the flight if the conditions would improve. I've never had to stay on the flight if things weren't, if things were delayed. I've never been in the plane, whatever, something like that were to happen. The only delay I, I can remember, and this is more because this is a couple years after 9 11. In fact, I think it was, this is a year and a half. This is in May of 2003. And we're coming back from Washington, D.C. We uh, from It was from Washington, D.C. We stopped off at Atlanta, for, and that was basically another hour. And then it got delayed another like two hours, I think, on top of that. So we had to hurry up. So we went up, like, go and get dinner somewhere on the airport. And then we, excuse me, not in the airport, but in the in the area. We had to go somewhere in the airport. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Not the air, I was saying airplane, but no, the airport. And you know those restaurants, they're not necessarily all that great, but, you know, it'll do for what you need. So we wound up going over there in Atlanta. And then we were taking the flight from Atlanta to New Orleans. But I think somewhere along the line between when we got off the plane or got on the plane from Washington, D.C. to Atlanta, essentially we had been told that the elevation, if you remember the Homeland Security system, it had increased, I believe, to elevate it. Again, this was a year and a half after 9-11. Makes perfect sense why they did this. But I can remember it being about like an hour or two hour delay to where we, we basically, I think we were there. We finally took flight probably around like six, seven o'clock. And we finally got home probably around like eight o'clock. And then the two, three hour drive from New Orleans to Lafayette was another three hours. So we didn't get home till like 11. I hadn't thought about that trip in years. It was a fun trip. Don't get me wrong. Being in Washington, D.C. a couple years after 9-11, going to see the Amish country, all that stuff is cool. But I hadn't thought about that in years. And this is a stark reminder, just thinking about 
these flight delays. And they went through at least three carts of liquor, according to everybody involved, which that alone is not unexpected, but seven hours and you're just drinking like a fish. And then at one point, you know, Bradshaw, Michael Hayes got in a fight in the airplane. Bradshaw got busted open. Then Michael Hayes passed out. X-Pac decided to cut off Michael Hayes' ponytail. And that's the last thing you want to do. It's the old saying, you don't spit spit in the wind. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't mess around with Jim. And you probably don't want to cut off Michael Hayes' ponytail. That's basically what I learned from this. But the boys popped huge for it. Michael Hayes was not too happy about that in the immediate aftermath because I think they actually had a Ziploc bag of Michael Hayes' hair taped on the law on the raw locker room door for that Monday, which that in and of itself is insane. But then we get these the other crazy story is Brock Lesnar and Kurt Hennig getting into a brawl and, and wrestling. Eventually, Kurt Hennig apparently took him down. If you've never heard him in TNA, he talks about it. But Kurt Hennig decided to put shaving cream on Brock's head, which it's a funny rib. But then he splats it on his head, and Brock gets up, and they're just going at it. And again, this was no more than like six, seven months after 9-11 happened. Yes, 9-11 happened. At one point, they hit the emergency door. And if they hit that thing a little bit harder, according to the flight attendant, that thing was going to open up and there could have been massive ramifications from that event. And this could have been a whole different dark side of the ring. Thankfully, they didn't. Things calmed down, at least for a little while. We flash back to the European tour and Terry Reynolds mentions that Brock Lesnar flashed her and was told by Dustin to no-sell it. He's like, come on, just no-sell it, baby. And it was like, and she did. But it was just a mess to see that be an actual thing as part of the culture. We also hear a little bit more about it in terms of the culture later on with Rob Van Dam. He talks about H-bombing, which I'm not going to get into. But him saying like that statement alone, then you hear about all the stories about H-bombing. Like Shawn Michaels, for instance, apparently has H-bombed women back when he was with the Rockers. Probably did that for years. And just that alone. It's a little... Little yikes. But we she brought up the no sell and stuff because a little bit later on, apparently Dustin was singing on the PA and it got really uncomfortable. And apparently every time something happened, Jim Ross kept like going to go take care of this or that issue. And every time he was just so like, I gotta do whatever. You could tell he was just he did not want to be there on that flight. He was very much like, screw this. And not long after, he actually lost his job as the head of talent relations. Then we eventually got, you know, oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm John Laurinaitis. We got him eventually, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But then we get probably to the meat and potatoes, no pun intended there, about the story. And this is probably the one that's going to cause the most damage to a lot of people, namely Ric Flair and Tommy Dreamer. To a certain extent, Jim Ross, but I think he talked enough about the why to where we're not necessarily as, you know, cancel culture, maybe on him as much as we are Ric Flair and Tommy Dreamer, which we'll get to. So apparently 
Flair exposed himself to the attendant and forced the attendant to touch it on the flight and did that to the flight attendant. Flair has vehemently denied this in the past, and hell, he even did this in a statement that was later deleted. Rick Flair, no matter what he does, I think in my mind is not going to be part of AEW now because AEW knows that they are the ones that are looked at in a certain light. And if you have Ric Flair show up on your program, even like a month or six months after Dark Side of the Ring, it's going to be a PR nightmare. So I think AEW and Ric Flair, that's done. That's dead in the water. Meanwhile, Tommy Dreamer might be even worse off because he was very much like Cheddar Bob in 8 Mile. He shot himself in the foot over and over again. He's already been suspended by Impact and likely will be fired by the time we reconvene here on the podcast next week and recap Extreme Rules. And all we have is the memories of his career and wanting to shoot Paul Heyman and then himself at the end during WrestleMania 17, which is a whole different story, which probably could be featured on the dark side of the ring down the road. And then we hear more about Tommy Dreamer bragging about Ric Flair's Johnson, his hammer, which that alone is kind of weird. Like you never, I don't think I've ever heard another guy opine so much about another man's unit. I've never heard somebody actually say and put over that big the size of another guy's Johnson. I'm not going to say the word, but it's still... Not great, Bob. So a little bit later on, things calm down. And Scott Hall apparently, again, allegedly got age-bombed by Hennig. Scott Hall, in a shoot interview, mentioned it. Hennig obviously has since passed away, sadly. And the story about him, it's it's not necessarily, you can't tell what happened there. Because some of the people aren't there to really defend themselves. And more importantly, we go to the story about that, and apparently Scott Hall tried to lick the flight attendant that had just been exposed not long ago to Ric Flair's tallywhacker, his Willie, and you started to see that whole thing go down. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And she apparently he passed out like right after. So safe to say the flight attendant did not go out ever again on the rest of that flight, just basically stayed in the bay. And then we get to the aftermath after they finally land in the United States. And Jim Ross talks about the fact that they fired Hennig and they fired Hall. And they almost fired Dustin Rhodes a couple months after he returned. But JR like fought hard to keep Rhodes. And obviously Rhodes probably got off like the easiest to a certain extent because he was without a doubt a guy that had a lot of issues, but he probably had the least amount of like egregious fouls, if you will, compared to Scott Hall, who was already well known. He was having, he's dealing with his personal demons a lot of the time. And then they get to the question about Ric Flair, why he didn't get fired. Cause I think in a 2021 climate, something like this happens. The guy's probably fired out of the jump. But it's the fact that he's a made man, as JR put it, which that gives JR no excuse 
But I feel like you can also look at Vince McMahon and say, Vince is the one that would tell him to fire Ric Flair if that situation ever came to be. And he honestly should have been fired from the jump. But Ric Flair, as JR put it, he was a made man and he got a pass. And even even then, like the way he talked, it sounded like it was like he rude, not he regretted not pushing to have him fired. At least that's what it sounded like. Again, it's hindsight 2020 or 2021, depending on your perspective. But it was crazy. Then we go back to the flight attendant talking about her aftermath. And the story gets messed up as well, a little bit more, because the flight company didn't want her to let this story out. Because it's a company that was also dealing with a lot of sports teams, not just the WWE, but that's not a great look. And again, it really speaks to how much things and times have changed over the last, you know, 19 years or so in not just the world wrestling, but just in the world in general. We hear about the Me Too movement over the last few years, and this spoke to something I was like, just, I I thought about when I hear this story all the time about the plane ride from hell, but I'm glad the story was told, and we got to hear the full story from a lot of people that were involved in it, especially the flight attendant, because then it tells more of the complete story instead of just touching on the fact that Ric Flair spun his wiener around like a helicopter. But there's nothing to tell me what the real dark side of this story is. And Jim Ross mentions at the end, you know, it wasn't the greatest final line from him, but he made some solid points. And it was a satiant point, especially when you look at the locker room now, it's changed significantly. A lot of these guys aren't doing all the drugs. They aren't doing all these things that they used to do whenever wrestling was at its hottest. So I think that's the progress he's talking about. And Jim Ross mentioned that, that the locker room culture has changed a lot. They also show Cena and Undertaker from 2002 for some bleeping reason. I'll never understand it. Then we get to this week's documentary. It's going to be Canyon. And I it's going to be rough, but it's a story I think it's going to 100% need to be told. I was kind of surprised the Young Bucks were on this one. You have DDP in there, obviously. You have a lot of guys that it makes sense, but it's like, what do the Young Bucks have to do with it? So I'm a little even more intrigued to see what they have to say on all this because it's not like they were like working with Canyon a lot in WCW or when he came out and, and he was wrestling the WWE, all that stuff. So I'm interested to see what... Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. And here's a few things that I hated and loved from wrestling this week. First off, obviously, I want to do the positives every single time to open this segment up. And it's usually what I liked and hated, but I think I got to go loved, hated, liked, and disliked this week. What I loved was the announcement from AEW about the Owen Hart Cup. And it's going to be called the Owen. It's a tournament. And the fact they've started up a partnership with Martha Hart's organization, they'd be selling action figures, putting Owen in the games, and having a yearly tournament that's appropriately called the Owen. Like The Cup's going to call it the Owen, and you're going to have a tournament every year. This is an amazing thing that I never thought I'd see. And we hear that phrase all the time. It's never say never. 
I'll be honest, I never in a million years thought we'd see Martha Hart allow any organization to use her late husband's name and image and likeness. We hear about that all the time in the world of college football, name, image, and likeness. But I think in the case of Owen, there was no way in hell we were ever going to see this because of Martha Hart and how much she felt kind of like almost banished to a certain extent in the sport of professional wrestling after the Owen Hart incident at Over the Edge 99 and the way things were done and the way things were handled back then that soured her entirely. But now we're seeing her be more open. And when you think about it, I'm almost 99% certain. I think she even said this to a certain extent that the way they handled the Brody Lee situation probably played a big role in the decision to actually go forward with this because there was no reason why you weren't going to pull something off like this. And it was great to see because I think that's what this wrestling world needs. We hear about the dark side of it. We just talked about it. This is the good side of the ring and seeing this kind of like goodwill be built up. But now AEW's got to maintain that, especially in the case of this. Has to do it the right way. They can't just put together a tournament and slap it together. There's got to be a reasoning behind it. There's got to be a point behind it. And we bring up all the time, we've talked about this a lot, is Adam Page. What's going to happen with him? Now, I think in terms of just strictly storylines, that would be the most like logical next step for him is to win the Owen Cup, and that would be considered his ticket to have a world championship match, and then we see it maybe in his hometown or his home state of West Virginia, and you know that if any, if Tony Khan wanted to really pop a rating, he'd put that match, I'm telling you now, he'd put that match as the main event of that AW Dynamite in West Virginia because he knows people will fully expect, and we talked about it a while back, with the doubt that we had about CM Punk returning to pro wrestling after seven years, that 1% of doubt is enough to get more than your usual viewership to tune in because you have that 1% doubt that Kenny is going to retain and 99% of you knows that Adam Page is going to win the AEW World Championship. I think that's the direction it's going to go, but that's a different conversation. The fact they're doing this in the first place is great. Now you've got to continue to build that goodwill because the second you start to screw up and you do something wrong with this, Martha Hart will throw this like agreement in the trash can real quick. Like I can guarantee you that, but AW definitely takes a lot of stuff in this particular edition because there wasn't like, and it's weird because now it's like high school football season and football is all kind of like taking over my life. So I'm not necessarily able to watch SmackDown or rampage live in living color and just enjoy it in full. So it's basically a lot of AW stuff and a lot of AW dynamite takeaways. And this was something I, I hated with a like significant passion. Malachi Black, Rosario Dawson, and Cody. The worst segment in AEW. AEW hasn't been a perfect show. There's been a lot of bad things. But this one was god-awful and frustrated me. So po- there's one positive. Malachi Black came out and nobody said a damn word. This was perfect. This is the perfect way to do it. And they should have done this weeks ago. But they finally got it right. And then he calls out Rosario Dawson, who's wearing a Nightmare Family jacket, 
for no real reason. She jumps the guardrail, no consequences for doing that. And then Cody runs down the stairs to save the day, and that distracts Malachi to where Dawson puts Black in an attempted sleeper hold and jumps on his back and never gets off. Like, there's no way you could have tried telling her, hey, I'm going to buck you off when it's time. Go over, because it's going to make this guy still look like a badass. Malachi Black, who looks like an absolute like psychopath, was at least seemingly overpowered by a actress. Nothing against Rosario Dawson. She is a phenomenal actress, and she's really cool. And the fact that she was in Clerks 2, shout out to that. And she'll be in Clerks 3 when that, whenever the hell that comes out. But yeah, this person with no wrestling experience put one of the most protected guys you have heading into this match on Wednesday in a headlock. It makes him look like a geek. And the fact that you couldn't get Black couldn't get her off of his back. That alone makes me think I know where the rest of the story is going. Cody's going to win. And there's, I talk about the 99% and the 1% of doubt. There's zero doubt that Cody's going to win and get his win back. That we see these two face off somewhere down the road. But Cody is going to get the win because that's how Cody's storylines go. He's going to go down early, but the next thing you know, he's going to come back and be better than ever. And I hope to God we see something different, but it just feels like that is the inevitability of this story. What else I liked in wrestling this week doesn't have to do with anything that happened in the 20 by 20 squared circle. And we talk about the Owen. I think I got to give a shout out to people who have been watching for a long time. And that is New Legacy Inc. They are phenomenal Twitch streamers. Like love watching their stuff, especially when they play WWE games or Jack in the Box or Jackbox. I'm gonna say Jack in the Box, but no, they play Jackbox games. They do a lot of other stuff. They, I think they've played Among Us once or twice or Fall Guys. That kind of stuff is fun. And then they teamed up with Evil Uno for another year as part of Fighting Back, which donates money to the Canadian Cancer Society. And they had a 12-hour stream on Friday night. And they absolutely shattered their previous record and don't and were able to get $82,000 worth of donations even after the stream was done. I think I saw Stu Grayson put up and he said they donated they got $105,000 in donations just over that weekend or just that Saturday. That's insane to think about $105,000 to Canadian cancer society. That is a great thing. And I sat there while watching him and kept seeing that number go up and up and up. And I'm almost certain Brody Lee was smiling from up above and seeing this. He would be proud as hell to see evil. Uno, you know, Adam Cole, Xavier Woods, Tyler Breeze, all these guys coming together for such a great cause. That was something I loved in wrestling this week. I put it as light, but it came pretty close to the love. And then, oh, the Owen Hart thing decided to happen. And this is something I, I didn't hate, but I disliked. The overuse of the S word. I think I heard it 12 times in a single broadcast. That was too much for me. And I'm not a prude, but if I'm hearing the same thing over and over again, then like it loses like a good bit of its effect in my mind. I can be completely off base here, but I think whenever you hear somebody continually say the S word in promos, you hear it over the course of two hours, 
eventually it loses meaning. It's like that South Park episode. Whenever you saw the guy, the word of curse, the, the Knights of the Apocalypse or whatever. And they ran in. It was like too much. But again, it makes sense, especially when you're seeing guys just in a heated promo like Kenny and Brian. That one made sense. But seeing, you know, Chris Jericho sing a song called Fat Face Dip S Word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't feel like all that right. Him saying a word that's associated with him. Uh, a woman's nether regions. Let's go ahead and put it that way and keep it as clean as humanly possible on this podcast. Saying that was also something that I, I, I just I cringed at for a moment. But yeah, the S word was a little bit overused this past Wednesday. All right, one more segment before we get out of here on this week's podcast, the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. If you haven't already, make sure you leave a five-star review for yours, truly. And this will be a new segment on this week's show. And I'm probably going to do this every now and again, not during, you know, pay-per-view weeks, which is going to be next week. I can't believe we've got UFC and WWE all on the same weekend. Hopefully I do well on the DraftKings free pools. That That'd be a lot of fun. But that's a different story. So let's get to the stuff that the old school match of the week. This is going to be something I'm going to do every now and again, hopefully every week. But it's go back, watch an old match, and give my thoughts on what I liked or disliked. And the first things first, I'm only going to do these for matches that are probably at least a decade ago. And this was something I'd never seen before. But that won't necessarily always be true. I'll go back and watch matches that I knew were great or knew were trash and just watch them and, and maybe enjoy them or write that this was probably one of the worst matches I've ever seen. Why did I do this? Why did I make this decision to watch trash? But this one was actually pretty cool because I didn't see this before, but I heard good things about it. And that's Cole Cabana versus Adam Pierce from ROH's Good Times, Great Memories. It's actually out on Ring of Honor's YouTube right now. But I was like, okay, this is really cool. Seeing these two face off and it's free to watch. So before we start talking about the actual match itself, this was Cole Cabana's last match at Ring of Honor and he was going to make his way to OVW about a month later. He had signed a contract in April. Ring of Honor made the announcement on their website and announced a farewell show, which we saw a lot during this time frame when ROH guys went to WWE. They always would book a show that had something to do with the guy that was going over to the competition. And Colt chose Pierce as his final opponent, according to commentary. And it made sense because he came up through the Indies and were both trained by a steel who also trained Colt's former tag partner and former best friend, at least according to what you hear, CM Punk. Maybe they've, they've patched things up since he's been at AW. I don't know. That's not my business. <laughs> That said, this card was really freaking good, especially when you see some of the highlights. Yeah, he had Takeshi Morishima defending his ROH world title against Shingo, retaining in that match. The Briscoes retained in a really highly regarded match. Cage match had this rated as a nine. I might have to go out my way to go check this out. The Briscoes taking on the Motor City Machine Guns for the ROH world tag titles. The Briscoes would retain in that. And it made me think maybe these two were 
in good terms in terms of ROH and TNA because in the early days, ROH had a partnership with them and then the whole uh, Rob Feinstein scandal came out. Hell, he's trying to get back into wrestling. That's not a great look. But once that scandal happened, TNA pulled all their talent and just basically ended the relationship then and there. And I think that's been a big reason why you've seen them. Like, they, I think what like a few years later, apparently they were back on good terms because you saw Daniels. He was in a match against Eric Stevens to a time limit draw. This is actually the second match on the main card. Yet Austin Aries, Roddy Strong, still there too. So it's still interesting to see how it all was like being put together. Now to the match. First off, the ring is absolutely covered with streamers. Something I wish we we would see come back. Maybe after COVID starts letting up a little bit more, ROH will allow it to happen. Hoping, maybe. But Pierce played the heel role really well in this match. That, of course, was in Chicago, Illinois. Pierce immediately went after Colt. But Cabana took over after a really cool comedy spot by starting to like basically hogtie Adam Pierce in the streamers. And then he just said, go ahead and push him over like, the most like over the top crap, and I, you know, I love that kind of stuff. He threatens to walk out after the fans start chanting Cole Cabana. Pierce gets in the ring, eventually hits a couple shoulder tackles, but Cabana tri- trips him up. And this was a match that, at this point, I started to realize this was going to be classic Cole, where he pulls off this comedy like world of sports style wrestling so well. And I think it's something that people need to go out and see and realize, hey, you know, you can see a really good wrestling match with a good blend of comedy. I think for years, especially with WWE, they've done matches where it's been more putting over comedy instead of the wrestling. This is good wrestling blended in with comedy. At one point, they had my favorite part of the match was Pierce targeted the leg, then put Cocobana's leg it looked like a heel hook, probably completely wrong in the way out wording it. But Colt's just yelling, yelling, and then at one point he goes, Pierce, Pierce. And then Adam's like, What? And he's like, hold on one sec. And then he moves his moves Pierce's hand and gets out of the hole. I could not stop laughing. Like, this is why I want to see this Colt in AEW going forward. Not the not that the Dark Order version's good or bad. I just would much rather see something else. Then you see at one point, Colt goes to the outside. Shane Hagedorn tries to hit Colt with the chair. Colt grabs it, and then he pulls the Eddie Guerrero spot where he slams the chair on the apron and acts like he got absolutely creamed with the chair. He goes, ow! Like, and the fact he did it so over the top, it reminded me a lot of, if you've ever seen... Like a Tom and Jerry cartoon, that's what the yell sounded like to me. Like when you see Tom get hit with something, he go ah! Like it, it was that kind of thing. I love that. It was, it was a great pop, and the match is kind of. It's a very good back and forth. They had one more little comedy spot with Pierce trying to hit him with the gold bond, but Cabana turned around and doused him with the gold bond. And the commentary crew makes a gold bond mafia reference. If you don't know what that is, go look it up, kids. And they had a great-looking spine buster by Pierce and locks in a figure four in the middle of the ring. Cabana rolls over, but then Pierce rolls back over, and Cabana quickly grabs the ropes. And Pierce actually says, his thighs are too fat. And I'm not going to lie, I pop for that too. 
Pierce hit a great leg drop for two. Cabana starts firing up, and he eventually wins with the Billy Goat's curse to end his like first run with Ring of Honor. He didn't know that at the time, but this was still a really fun match. I think if you are a little bit on the fence on comedy matches, this is one that I recommend you go check out to see like what your real take is. Because I think everybody has their opinions, but sometimes they're shaped based off of other people, namely a cranky old man by the name of Jim Cornette. But let's look at the aftermath now, because that's really what's interesting to me. Because Colt reported to OVW at the end of the month, end of May, and eventually went to FCW once OVW and their developmental deal shut down. And he split time there, and then he was on SmackDown as Scotty Goldman, which was an interesting gimmick, and apparently... He had his own show on WWE.com. I don't remember much of it. I remember the dirt sheet when that was going on, but what's popping or cracking with Scotty Goldman? I don't think anybody remembers that. But, yeah, that was the thing that happened. He didn't last long in the company. Requested his release from WWE in February of 2009, and his last match was getting squashed by Umaga. Pierce, meanwhile, he'd stayed with Ring of Honor and was eventually the head booker uh, back in 2008. Then he, like, Stepped down for that role in 2010 due to some creative differences, then took over the role for a little while as the head booker for the National Wrestling Alliance. And then they eventually had their seven levels of hate match on the Indies, which is something else I think you need to go check out is the seven levels of hate because that is a phenomenal like way to set way to put together a great story around like a best of seven series that we never see anymore. I, I hope we do get to see a best of seven series come back in some form or fashion on be it WWE or AEW programming. Cause that stuff you, you have a chance to actually run matches that actually matter or it's the same guys, but there's actual stakes to it. So it makes a lot more sense as opposed to just keep running the same rematches like 50, 11 times. I'd love to see a best of seven or a best of five series. Like we saw with Cena and Booker T on SmackDown. That was a really good angle, really good series and it paid off with you know Cena becoming more and more regarded as one of those top guys. And I feel like I've mentioned this before, and then we'll end the podcast, is that I think anyone who is doing a podcast on pro wrestling right now and going forward needs to give a lot of credit to Cole Cabana. Because in my mind, I think Cole Cabana was a trailblazer. Because he took a bet on himself and created the Art of Wrestling podcast. It was largely a in my mind, a launch pad for a lot of the ones we've seen over the last few years. I think obviously there are guys like Brian Alvarez, Dave Meltzer. I'm going to lump those two together to more of an extent. Brian Alvarez is that wrestling podcasts took off to a certain extent. And if I put together Mount Rushmore, it'd be Brian Alvarez, Cole Cabana, Conrad Thompson, and Chris Jericho. I think Jericho took that podcasting thing and elevated elevated to the next level to where it's not just about wrestling. It's about life. It's about music. It's about conspiracy theories, which sometimes doesn't necessarily always work out all that well, but not just my take. And I can remember listening to all those original Art of Wrestlings back when I worked in retail. I used to always love some of the stories that were told. I remember one night I was literally just cleaning the floors late one night and was listening to him talk to Tyler Black, now Seth Rollins, 
and his future in the WWE. And this was taped right before he left the Indies. So it was a really cool perspective at a young guy getting an opportunity and somebody who had already had that opportunity in the past and him like having fun with it. If you can find this in like an archive somewhere, it is well worth your time to go check that out. Also, I'd say definitely check out the Jimmy Snooker episode. Or excuse me, not the Jimmy Snooker episode. The Cliff Compton episode is phenomenal. Like it is an S tier episode, no doubt. And again, if you want to check this match out, it's available for free right now on Ring of Honor's YouTube channel. And that's going to about do it for this week's edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Can't believe we've, we're at 72 episodes next week. We'll kind of recap what happened with Extreme Rules, the UFC pay-per-view this weekend, and so much more. Until then, enjoy the wrestling, good fight, and good night.